You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. We have football tonight. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. I got a little extra spring in my step. It's been a great week. Um, we got football tonight. We got the Falcons visiting the the Eagles, and I got good buddy from my ESPN days, Mike Sando, joining us as he does every Thursday. Mike, what is going on with you? God, I'm as excited as you are. Can't wait to watch the game tonight. I'll be traveling to Oakland for the Monday nighter between John Gruden uh, and a guy who was on John Gruden's last staff in the in the NFL in Tampa, Sean McVay. Wow, okay. I, I didn't think about that correlation. Um, it just dawns on me, though. I mean, you, true or false, you used to travel with Coach Gruden for all the Monday night games when he was at ESPN, right? I did, I, and I went to all the Gruden quarterback camps for four, maybe four or five years. So I've been around John quite a bit and really enjoyed the preparation that he put into the broadcast. It was insane. Oh, I bet. I bet. I mean, I'm sure he's very impressive. I met him once very, very briefly quite a while ago. And it's funny because Walt Harris, Pitt's head coach, was then Tennessee's head coach, was the guy who gave both Coach Gruden and myself our first job that actually paid money in football. So I uh, talked to him for just a couple minutes the one time about it. And he, he, we both picked up Walt's sons at the airports and different sons. But yeah, I got to oh. tell you, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Matt. So we're like, I'll give you a quick story. So, you know, in the in the course of a week, let's just say that John was doing uh, the game tonight, you know, the big Eagles Falcons game. Um, Yeah, you'd think, hey, you know, these coaches know so much they could go in there and just sort of wing it. They could do some research. They could lean on their research staff and they could sound pretty smart because they know the game. Right. They really know the game. John was ridiculous. I mean, he would prepare these. he would do these like, you know, video telestrator breakdowns on stuff that we would never get to in the game unless it just it would be you'd be lucky to get to it. He'd be like, look, uh, Aaron Rodgers back foot in the shotgun. You know, this is a really interesting thing. I'm like, John, you're doing the grind on this for you know, <laughs> for the game. Boy, I mean, the odds of us getting to that are, are zero. But that's how dialed in he was. Think of all the other things he did that we did get to. It was really eye-opening for me to see that all the talk about 3 a.m. getting up and all that, it was real. He was doing that type of stuff for the broadcast when he easily, off his knowledge, could have just winged it. And you just think that's who he is. I mean, he loves it. He grinds. I mean, that, that's yep. that's his DNA. It is. It is. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how that applies back into the game. I'm just fascinated to see what type of offense he's going to run, how flexible he is. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk today about Khalil Mack off to a shaky start there. So uh, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I was going to hold it till a little later in the show, but let's just bring it up now. Um, I've mentioned before, Sage Rosenfels comes on every Tuesday. Mike Renner comes on every Wednesday. And I asked those guys, you know, just a minute or two, their opinion on the Mack trade. But with your correlation with Gruden, what do you think the thought process is there for the, the Raiders? Is it just that... Hey, we already have a twenty million dollar guy. We we want you know a little bit more quantity than quality on our roster. Or do you think it's <sighs> hey, I'm building it in my image. Give me every pick I can get. Or what's the thought uh, process? For yeah, coach? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, the timing of it. Number one, you're a new coach coming in. The guy hasn't played for you. 
I think that's that's part of the, the psychology here. Mm-hmm. John had drafted him. I was covering Mike Holmgren 20 years ago. Joey Galloway was on his team and was you know seen as a top receiver, game breaking guy at the time. And they didn't hit it. You know, the, Joey held out, and pretty soon he's being traded for a couple number one picks. And obviously, it's a more valuable player in Khalil Mack because of the position that he plays. But uh, thoughts on that have evolved over the years too. So I think there's part of a, there's a little bit of a new sheriff in town. Mm-hmm. There's an existing situation where this this was already going on. It is a lot of money involved. Uh, there's also what can you get in return? But I have a hard time seeing this as a good move for the Raiders. I mean, who you pay is a hugely important thing. Everyone in the locker room pays attention to a small set of things. One of them is how much money everyone else makes at my position. And who are we holding up as the guys to pay in our organization? So Khalil Mack's exactly who you pay for value of position, for the fact that he never misses games or snaps, for the fact that he's dominant. I mean, he's an elite, probably top three player in the league on defense. You have to sign that guy. And if when you don't, to me, it, it opens you up down the road for, hey, are these guys are you know, are these guys gonna take care of me? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, because Mac did everything right. And if you're player X in that locker room and go Man, if I do everything, if everything falls perfect for me and I work my butt off and I turn into Khalil Mack, they're just going to trade me. Yeah. Yep. And so another thing I was doing, I did this the other day. I just took, so so if you look at Khalil Mack for his first four seasons, he had 40 and a half sacks. So I just took a list of all the guys with at least 25 sacks through their first four years since 2001. And did they get second deals? And you rank them in order of sacks. The top seven guys are J.J. Watt, Demarcus Ware, Dwight Freeney, Von Miller, Justin Houston, Robert Quinn. That's the top six. They all got second deals. Okay, They all got second deals with their team. Number seven was Alton Smith, who would have, but he had off-field problems. Yeah, right. Number eight is where we get interesting, Jared Allen. To me, he's the comp. He's the comp, exactly. Jared Allen was coming off a 15-and-a-half sack season for Kansas City in his fourth year and got traded as the franchise player scheduled to make $8.8 million, Okay, Didn't he have off-the-field issues at the time, from what I recall, DUI or I don't, something I mean, like that? Yeah, Nothing yeah, crazy, he, but... Well, there was some, he has had some concerns, so I, need, I, would okay. need, I can't remember the timing of those. Certainly the Chiefs would have known, you know, hey, right. do we want to put everything in? So that's a factor. The next three guys before Mac are Doomerville, who got a second deal, uh, Clay Matthews, who got a second deal, and Julius Peppers, who got a second deal. Julius Peppers was coming off a ten and a half sack season, just like Mac. So, the caliber of those players, you know, Mac is right in there with the caliber of all those guys. Oh yeah, there's Hall of Famers in there, and he's on a Hall of Fame pace. Yeah. So Jerry Allen's the comp. There's a couple other guys who did, you know, with not with almost as many sacks who changed teams, like Sean Merriman and Mario Williams, but they had major injury concerns. You know, and, and you can go down the list. Chandler Jones did get traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we would probably put Khalil Mack in a little different category. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, than even mo- than even a lot of those guys who are at the top. So. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. tough. Yeah. The odds of hitting on those two, you know, those two number ones. Um, I'm all about for draft capital and all, and all that, too. But the odds of them getting a player as elite as. Um, Khalil Mack are low. Now, the odds of Chicago 
getting value of Khalil Mack playing as well as what they gave up or low too, but at least they got a great player. <laughs> they have the bird in the hand at least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a top two team in that division. We'll see, but certainly they now have an elite pass rusher that everyone's going to have to game plan for. No doubt. Uh, in a minute here, Mike and I are going to talk about tonight's game. Uh, before we do, I want to tell you about my bookie. I've been talking to you about uh, these guys all week. I'm going to put a couple bets down this, tonight, make it a little more fun. So you got to go check out mybookie.com. So pretty much ever since I started podcasting, people have asked me for betting advice. And usually we do pretty well. And tune in tomorrow and I'll give you every pick with the spread and without it. But just as important of who you bet on is where you bet. So I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. They, you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting. That's one of my favorite things to do. And the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, they have a new service where you can bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So join now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. So that's free money, guys. Use the promo code Locked On. That's all one word. To activate the offer, visit MyBookie online today, that's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, and don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, to get the, the your, get your bonus that, that way. You win, you play, you win, you get paid. So, Michael, a couple things I'm looking for tonight. When Atlanta has the ball, I really think Julio's going to cause... Massive problems. That being, <laughs> I mean, that's not going out on the real weak limb there. <laughs> yes. He is pretty good. He's pretty good, and their, their corners are questionable. But I also yep. think that Fletcher Cox, who also is pretty good, against their guards is a real problem. And a theme sure. that I always look at early in the season is fatigue. And teams with deep defensive lines. I think have a real advantage, and as we saw last year, none might be deeper than Atlanta or than Philadelphia's. No doubt, and that's a to me that's a huge part of what puts a team over the top. Do you have the rotation? You know, I live in uh, Seattle area, and remember when Russell Wilson was a rookie, they couldn't finish off Atlanta in that playoff game. They lost thirty to twenty eight because they just didn't quite have that extra rusher. You go out, you get mm-hmm. an April, you get a Bennett, you know. Suddenly, that top five defense is top one defense, and you're a Super Bowl champion. So, the Eagles did a great job of that last year. They're banking on bringing in Bennett. I, th- you know, you talk to people in the league, there's some concerns over, you know, Bennett's personality in the mix coming in. You know, with a new team, the chemistry, what's it going to be like? But uh, that is certainly an area. When you look at Atlanta, you know, what could be a concern over the course of the season is the fact that they ha- do have some age on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. It may be a benefit to them early. You know, I think early in the year when you're healthy, that experience going on the road, playing a team like Philly, you know, you may you you may want to lean on that a little bit, especially in this era where it seems like it takes a while for to get the offensive line going. There's a lot of young guys out there who don't know what they're doing. Um, so at least there's a, there's a somewhat of a veteran front for Atlanta uh, to deal with that formidable pass rush of the. Uh, of the uh, Eagles. No doubt. On the other side of the ball, we don't have Wentz. We don't have Alshon. Even Mac Hollins is not playing. So they're very light at the receiver position. I think Atlanta's corners are very much a strength of their team. 
and should probably leave them more or less on islands much of the night and get a lot of their fast linebackers, Keanu Neal, really swarming Ertz into a lesser degree Goddard. So I think passing the ball is going to be really difficult for Philadelphia tonight, especially if Foles is not, you know, the, the guy we saw the past two games, which he certainly was not in the preseason. So I think their approach is really good Eagles def- offensive line. Let's use a lot of Ajayi up the middle. You know, the, the Falcons are based more on speed and athleticism. Oh, yeah. They don't have the brute force. And just try yep. to wear them down. Another factor with the Falcons' defense is they consistently allow a lot of underneath throws to running backs because they're fast and they get there. So I think mm-hmm. that that's going to be a running game, real short passing game kind of approach for the Eagles. Oh, yeah. And to me, if I'm Philly, you got you got to try to test that middle of the Falcons' defense and get that going. I'm, all, yeah. I'm interested in, you know, there, there's a huge target on Philly when you win the Super Bowl. And when you... Gets whatever five six hundred yards on Bill Belichick. I know the Patriots defense isn't what it used to be, but still, I mean that's a big deal. And so I am waiting to see. Okay, number one, what wrinkles does Doug Peterson have that are new? Mm-hmm. Because everyone's had seven months to prepare for Philly, and it's different. You know, when you win the Super Bowl, people spend time preparing for you. And I I, I really want to see can Peterson still have that edge? Can he continue to get more from Nick Foles than you would think he should be able to do. And I think it's harder coming out of the gates because all that stuff that worked great during your playoff run, everyone's had all this time, you know, to prepare for. So that's a huge part of the matchup that's interesting to me. Yeah. And to take it a step further, something I've been saying a lot this offseason is I think many, many coaches, offensive coordinators are looking at the Eagles the Rams, the 49ers, how can I take stuff from them? And on the off- and on the other hand, I think defensive coordinators are studying those three offenses too, saying, I better figure out how to stop this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's a fun part of the game, you know. Yeah. It's changing, and we're starting to see, you know, the jet motions and ghost motions and some of those college jet sweep things. We're seeing more of it. So they, definitely the RPOs came up, I believe, Um I believe the league average was over eight per game mm-hmm. um, last season. I was just talking to someone from Pro Football Focus who charts that. So um, there's wrinkles here that do come into play when you have a guy like Peterson who is always looking for the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And for tonight's game, I got Atlanta 20. I got the Eagles 17. I think it's going to be close. I think defense is going to be the key. Um, tough environment, obviously, to play at, but I don't think that rattles Matt Ryan and a veteran team all that much. I'm just not much of a Foles believer. Do you, do you have a prediction? Yeah. Yeah, I, I lean towards Atlanta, but I, I my fear and my prediction is that it's just because I feel like they're a little bit better team, maybe a little bit better roster. Things do happen in a, in a you know, you're on the road. I could easily see, you know, the, getting some pressure on Matt Ryan. He throws a third quarter pick and the game turns. That, mm-hmm. That's not a shock to me at all. So I will lean towards Atlanta uh, in it, but don't forget that you're playing a really good team on the road and 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 road and and home teams. You know, tend to have an edge. So I would not count out uh, the Eagles at all. And I and I'd be a little nervous if I had a lot riding on Atlanta to win, even though I think they'll probably win. 
All right, Mike. Yesterday, Mike Renner and I went through the, the best teams in the NFC, and what I asked him was, I don't want to hear, you know, what's your biggest concern with each team? What could derail each team? And I don't want to hear Aaron Rodgers could get hurt again. Tom Brady could <laughs> fall down the steps. You know, like, I, yeah. I, I mean, don't give me the obvious ones, you know, injuries yeah, yeah. or something like that. But mm-hmm. there's eight teams more or less in the NFC that I considered contenders. Fewer yep. in the AFC. I mean, I got the Pats, the Steelers, the Jags, and the Chargers. And I know you recently did an article, you know, pull, tell people about your article, first of all. It's a good one. Yeah, every every summer I've been doing uh, a piece where I, you know, talk to people in the league that could be general managers, personnel directors, you know, coaches, whatever. And I just sort of poll them for, hey, what do you think is the biggest concern for each team? I say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just, we can't just say an injury unless there's just some guy who's always injured. You could, but let's try to find other stuff that's specific to the team. So, uh, that is on uh, ESPN.com and ESPN Plus. Headline is NFL execs pick what all 32 teams should be worried about in 2018. So I can lean on some of that here and offer some of my own ideas. What team do you want to go at first from the AFC among the contenders? Here's the hardest one for me is New England because, uh-huh. I mean, I could pull the low-hanging fruit and say Brady has a year like Manning did in his last season, but that's kind of like saying Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. And I think yeah. Brady might be coming off his best season of his whole career. Oh, yeah. You know, Gronk yeah, injuries. I'm, not... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But Gronk injuries certainly would be a massive derailing factor, too. But I don't think the rest of this roster is very good. But they're still yeah. going to win 13. I know. And I was actually uh, with a coach the other night uh, watching Brady preseason film. And he was, like, showing me just how ridiculously good he still looks. Yeah, he's unbelievable. <laughs> and... And not only that, how good of pockets he has. It's like the coaching and everything. You know, that he there's great pockets for him and Hoyer a lot of the time. It's just really cool to watch them play. They really are the model in the league. Um, I did have a good conversation with a long time evaluator. We were, I used his comment on, "Hey, what's the worry?" And they have an unusually high number of players with injury concerns. And okay. the thinking is that Bill Belichick does a great job of managing this. And he is sort of, his philosophy is kind of like, hey, I'll deal with that. Just give me guys who have really good top-end talent, you know, who at their best are really good. And we'll manage the injury part of it. And you can see that, um, you know, even in their draft this year, you know, and of course a couple of those guys are injured. But um, when you look at, you know, Gronkowski, when you look at, uh, the players that were listed here were Trey Flowers, Derek Rivers, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, you know, Eric Rowe. There's a lot of guys that that you're worried about injury-wise, and they do seem to pull through it. Um, but I do think that is a legitimate concern for them that could be more than on other teams and may just sort of be hiding in plain sight with, uh, with New England. Yeah, and they're a hard one, just because I think as long as Brady and Belichick are there, they have the league's easiest schedule. The division's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I really can't come up with much of a you scenario know, that the rails. Are. Another one I noticed too, and watch when I was watching the. Uh, so Julian Edelman's out for the yeah. first four games. Uh, obviously, they have Gronk, and as long as he's there, they're probably fine. But um, man, the the ball was being dropped all over the place in the preseason. From what I saw, mm-hmm. it seemed like there was a lot of balls going off hands of receivers. So, you know, we have seen situations in the past where they were slow out of the gates, where 
you know, it took them a while to fix whatever their issue was. Maybe they didn't have the weapons. Maybe their pet protection wasn't there. Remember when Brady got pummeled by Miami or a few years ago or Kansas City Can't, yeah. early. So, you know, there's sometimes sometimes they're, you know, they are a team that's that does rely a lot on coaching and getting better as the season goes on. So maybe there will be a Patriot panic of some kind in the first months of the season. And, you know, most of us who've been watching them for a long time say, relax, you know, this will, unless Brady's hurt, this will this will be fine over the course of a season, but you know, there could be something early. Could be. And team I deal with a lot, the Steelers, they're next. We got Lev Bell sitting out and that could go on for a while. Who knows? Curious your thoughts on that too, on the side. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why he's doing it. I don't see what the advantage is for him, but overall I have very few concerns about the offense. And it's a third year in a row. They bring back the same starting line. Uh, Washington yeah. looks really good, but on defense, I think there are some concerns. You know, they've drafted this side of the ball heavily, but a lot of them are projects. Will they collectively take a step forward? Yep. And, and one thing I just wanted to point out, too, and then you have the total floor here to talk Steelers, because I talk way too much Steelers on this show, <laughs> is when they drafted, when they signed Burnett, they drafted Edmonds, they even drafted Marcus Allen, they added all these big safeties. I assumed their inside linebacker solution was... Fewer true linebackers on the field, one guy out there at most, flank him with a lot of safeties and speed as teams are doing, namely the Patriots, more nickel on early downs, more dime on throwing downs. But the preseason, freaking every snap has two inside linebackers, two slow inside yeah. linebackers on the field. It's making me crazy. <laughs> and so we'll see what they do for the right. regular season. That's a great point because there is a trend towards you know, playing safety-type guys at some of those linebacker positions in the NFL. So uh, that's definitely one. You know, the the concern that I heard about was just the middle of the defense. You know, that's mm-hmm. what they – we knew they were vulnerable um, at the safety position. And yet the guys they signed aren't necessarily center fielders. You know, they're not necessarily guys who are going to really upgrade the coverage aspect of it. So I think that's one of them. You know, one that no one's talking about that may be nothing. I mean, this may be so far off the radar – but, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator who's also the quarterback coach. And obviously, uh, Randy Fickner is uh, not an unknown commodity to the Steelers. He's been there a long time. Mm-hmm. He may be great, but that's a lot on one guy's plate. And, and Ben Roethlisberger's, maybe he's just an autopilot guy at this point of his career. But that's a change that this put, I put in the back of my mind. You know, you're not really bringing it up. But you're sort of watching to see um, how, if in any way, this affects the offense um, this year. How do you, that position's a lot about managing personalities too, managing the room. And so mm-hmm. now you've got uh, people speaking out on the team against Le'Veon Bell, who, by the way, when he comes back, is going to be a focal point of the offense. Like some of those dynamics to manage um, take skill, and Mike Tomlin's probably as good as anyone ever at it, um, but. In that offensive room, you know, we'll see it. There's a little new new dynamic there. Yeah, it's a good point. There's a lot of big personalities in that offensive room, I can tell you that. And Randy's never, and oh, by the way, Randy's never called plays at the NFL level. I mean, it's not an easy chore. And, and he might not now if Ben's going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you get the impression that Roethlisberger just kind of does what he wants. He's just going to, yeah, but... just wing it and draw it up in the sand. Yeah, um, I don't think it's quite like that, though. You know, the coaching no. is a factor. So I agree. Um, I think there's some obvious ones with Jacksonville. What are, what are your Jacksonville thoughts? 
Yeah, well, just the the mix. Talk about mix of personalities. I mean, this is a young team uh, in a lot of places that had some success last year. People will be, you know, they're not the chippy underdog anymore. They're a team other teams could be gunning for. How do you handle some success? You know, and we've already seen at various points this off season. You know, they suspended a couple of their guys for a week. You know, including uh, Jalen Ramsey was part of that. So, you know, does it all sort of what what happens if in the first month of the season your quarterback, by the way, who's still Blake Bortles, you know, reverts a little bit. You know, has a couple two pick, three pick games, puts the ball on the ground. It just feels like a place where things could come unraveled um, until they prove they can deal with success and, and until they know they're going to have some consistency at quarterback, which they don't know. No doubt about it. And there's a couple red flags here that really stand out to me was when, when you look back at it, they played the easiest schedule in the league last year. I just think as great as their defense is, and I have no worries about it whatsoever, they really had zero injuries on defense last year. I mean, those th- sure. kind of things are bound to regress. And, you know, as Denver showed us, it's just really hard to – play that style of football where you have to get an early lead, you can't come from behind, you can't rely on a passing game, then they lose Marquise Lee. Like, I just don't think that the game is designed to win with that philosophy right now. Yeah, yep. Now, the thing I like about Jacksonville is if you're going to have this philosophy, then be really all in with it, right? Yeah, right. Um, And so, you know, it's real easy. What's cool about Jacksonville is it's real easy to see what they're trying to do. Oh, awesome yeah. defense, right. punishing, be physical. You draft a back in the top five, you know, who's a bruiser. Um, you decide to go out and put your money on a, you know, on a guard. <laughs> I mean, there's no mistake. They want to roll up their sleeves and they want to take you into the alley and see who can come out. And, you know, is that the best way to build teams in the NFL? I mean, that's not how it's, you know, this is an 11 personnel league with, you know, pass oriented personnel. But guess what? There's, five of those quarterbacks who do that great, you know? So I think Jacksonville realizes who they are and is rolling with it. And it may not be the best thing for everything, everyone, but it's not a bad thing for them. No, it's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic for sure. And it has Tom Coughlin written all over it. Uh, Last team to bring up in the, is the chargers. And I could make the argument that they have the best roster of any of these teams, that they have the best roster in the AFC. They got edge pass rush. I love Derwin James. I think Rivers is playing as well as ever. I think Gordon's in for a big year. I like their receivers, even with Hunter Henry gone. I think the line's a lot better on offense. I don't see a massive weakness. I mean, I yeah. last year up the middle on defense, they were troubling and they missed a lot of tackles and they got ran on. But that's not the worst weakness to have in the league right now. I mean... The kicking yeah. game, and I mean, they they have some some things that derailed their season. The kicking game, they have no home field advantage. Uh, they might be yeah. cursed. Well, when you so we have some pretty cool metrics, efficiency metrics, and basically um, on special teams, we, you can rank the teams based on how your special teams plays affected things like field position. It's basically expected points based, right? So, okay. Um, if you take all the teams since 2006, there's 32 teams in the league times whatever that is, 12 seasons. There's 384 teams, okay? Um, their special teams last year ranked 381st out of 384 teams. <laughs> and so, you know, that is wow. that is being a great swimmer and diving into the lake 
but you've got a 20 pound anchor tied to your um, foot. Right. You got to be a real strong swimmer to keep your head above water, right? It's going to eventually drag you down. And there's sharks chasing you. There's sharks chasing you. So I feel like (laughs) the special teams was that anchor. And they were a rare, very rare team that if you look at the, the numbers were, you know, in the upper echelon, both offensively and defensively, and still barely could be nine and seven with a, you know with a good quarterback who played well. I think Philip Rivers had a good year, cutting mm-hmm. the interceptions down. So, to me, that's the main thing. I think I feel reasonably confident they're going to be good on offense and defense again. They just can't be. You can't be historically bad in another area, um, especially if you look in the AFC. So I told you about since 2006. If you take all the teams and just combine them, so there's just 32 teams. You know, the, your whole body of work from 2006. Up to now, New England's number one in special teams. So right. that's what you're up against. Um, the Ravens in New England teams. every year at the top of the league. Yeah, and that that's just like um, that that's just like having a house edge at the card table. You know what I mean? It's yep. you're you're not it shows up in little ways like five yards here, there in field position, or you know, an extra field goal here or there. Um and no one really writes about it. How, when's the last? Who, what's the best feature you wrote, you've ever read on the Patriots special teams? <laughs> right, it's you one know? of the absolute best things they've done over this run. It gives them. They're already playing with Belichick and Brady. Mm-hmm. All right, they're already as smart or smarter than you. They're already as good or better than you at quarterback. And they have this sort of unspoken edge on special teams year after year. Well, golly, you think Philip Rivers would like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to <laughs> right. be historically bad, you think that's not the difference between being nine and seven for the Chargers and maybe winning eleven or twelve games and having home field? Exactly. I no, mean, that's what it comes down it. to. And we're going to be debating in ten years whether Philip Rivers should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm bringing it up. Look at the special teams: three eighty-one out of three eighty-four. If you put this guy on te- on teams that didn't fire their coach when they're fourteen and two, <laughs> that weren't playing a that weren't playing in a stadium where you're using the silent count at home, <laughs> where your where your franchise quarterback who you paid one hundred and fifty million dollars to is commuting, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you know maybe this guy would be perceived a little differently. You think? Yeah, I he's got to do it all himself. This isn't a knock on Brady, but what if you flopped Brady and Rivers? You know. Yeah, I'm sure that right. the Patriots would. Pro- I mean, I'm sure that the Patriots may not have as many Super Bowls or whatever, but they. But Philip Rivers might have won three. Exactly. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal you player, know. and maybe the most underrated player of this generation. Yeah, he's had five. This is you know off the beaten off our subject a little bit, but I went through and did it because they asked me at ESPN, "Do you think this guy should be in the Hall of Fame?" And I'm a Hall of Fame voter, and I was like, ah. And I started looking at it, and I thought, wow. I mean, this guy's had five or six really elite seasons where, like, you know, high-volume passing and his passer rating is over, like, 100. You know, I mean, really special seasons that other guys, um, you know, people talk about Eli Manning who's won a couple championships, haven't had those types of seasons. So he needs to be that guy this year to overcome those things that seem to crop up when you're the Chargers, whether it's the how do we have this many of our top players be injured? Or what do you mean there's more Cowboy fans at our home game than Charger fans? Or, you know, all what do you mean we have historically bad special teams? You know, all of those things kicker. must, yeah, they must be overcome. So to do that, you've got to be super elite quarterback. And he hasn't been that every year, but he's been it some years. Do it again this year, Rivers, and you, you, know, you may have a chance in an AFC that's not as stacked as the NFC. NFC, you can find six, seven teams that make it tough. Right. 
I feel like in the AFC, you don't really know what you're getting. And of course, New England's going to be there, but, um, you know, it's a, it's, there's fewer teams to get through, it feels like. No doubt. Mike, you are the man. Enjoy your evening of football and your Sunday of football and your Monday of football. And we will do it again next Thursday. You too. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely.